Well, good morning, church. Um, it's good to see so many in God's house this morning. We were afraid that there was going to be 30 or 40 people here so close to Christmas, and it's so good to see so many. And I know so many on, online as well, but we're glad that you're here. And we pray that you had a good Christmas. I know I heard those words several times this morning. Did you have a good Christmas? I'm sure that I asked that same thing to so many others as well. But uh, those words mean something to me. Uh, growing up, Christmas Eve was kind of the pinnacle of the Christmas season because Christmas Eve in our house growing up was when we got to open the presents. And uh, we'd always first go to the Christmas cantata. My dad and mom were always part of the Christmas cantata. Do you guys know what a cantata is? Have you guys heard that word? It's, it, there are not as many anymore. I always try to get Scott to do a Christmas cantata every year, but it's just not up Scott's alley. But if you know what a Christmas cantata is, I looked it up, and it says it says it's a medium-length narrative piece of music with voices and instrumental accompaniment. And I want you to know that that is very false. It is the longest hour of my life as an eight-year-old, all right? That's what that was. Now, Patty King was our choir director, and Patty King did an amazing job. There was great songs, you know, Christmas songs, great solos, um, but... I can remember just being so excited whenever we'd stand for the hallelujah chorus at the end because I knew that it was almost over. And then we would applaud wildly because it was over with. No, I mean because it was so good, all right? And, 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 and it was. I feel like I'm being a little bit sacrilegious because the message was, was amazing, all right? The message every year was so good and a great reminder. But I can never remember in all those years of... Uh, of being at that Christmas cantata that people started at the end chanting one more song, one more song. Patty King did a great job, but she, she never had to make a curtain call for that cantata. But it was always, it was still good. And it was just the beginning, because I knew that at the end we were going to go home and we were going to read that Christmas story in Luke 2, which we're going to do here in a, a few moments. And then we were, we were going to open up presents and afterwards, I can remember those words from my dad just about every year. Did you have a good Christmas, Andre? And I knew what he meant. My parents every year would spend beyond their means so that they could get what they thought I wanted for Christmas. And we carry on the tradition to this day. Audra and I do. I came down Christmas morning. I couldn't believe all the presents. And I knew that I contributed half to that. But whenever, whenever my dad asked me that question, Andre, did you have a good Christmas? I knew what he meant. Did you get everything that you wanted for Christmas? And most of the time I could honestly answer yes to that question, that I got what I wanted. I was so excited about those presents, except for one year whenever my mom bought me a bird feeder, a bird book, and a bird uh, and some bird seed for that bird feeder. And I thought, you know, this Christmas is for the birds. <laughs> I kind of got my feathers ruffled that Christmas. I'll stop with... I'll stop with the foul jokes. This is going south, south fast here, isn't it? <laughs> so, but I ask you, I ask you, Ray, how was your Christmas? Awesome. That's what I like to hear. Did you get everything that you wanted? Maybe you were hoping for that white Christmas. We definitely got that. Maybe we were just hoping for some family time. 
Maybe there was something that you were really hoping for that you ended up getting. Maybe you were just hoping for a break, some peace and some quiet, a silent night. But I wonder how Mary and Joseph would have answered that question. I mean, they were there at that inaugural Christmas, and today we're not going to be in Revelation, but rather Luke 2. We've been trying to convince Dustin that there is 65 other books in the Bible, 65 other books that have been canonized, and, but actually that Christmas series has been excellent. I know every week I've come away encouraged. It's been a great message for this time and this season that we're in of endurance and faith, along with hope and the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. But today we're not going to be in Revelation. We're going to be in a more traditional place, a Christmas story in Luke 2. And so if you wanted to turn with me there to Luke 2, and it says this, and I'm sure you've heard these words many times. But it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the, for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed, shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find that baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And a lot of times we definitely romanticize this story in so many ways, on so many levels. And I think that if you would have asked Mary and Joseph, how their Christmas was. I imagine that they would have a, a tough time saying that they got everything that they wanted for Christmas. I mean, they should have been enjoying a week-long celebration for their marriage. It was the highlight of every Jewish boy. It was the highlight of every Jewish girl, but they gave it up all for a calling and a promise in exchange for secretly being married. And many eyes staring and glaring every time that they took to the streets. And I mean, I couldn't imagine that they weren't, there weren't struggles. And I don't just mean physically walking 80 miles to Bethlehem while being very pregnant, but I'm sure that they were also struggling with their faith as well. I mean, how could this be God's plan? If he can conceive a child inside this virgin, couldn't he have at least left one room open for them in that inn? Just one room. Just, is that too hard of a task? And if he can send the heavenly host to proclaim Christ's birth, couldn't he have at least found a little, com a little bit more comfortable place for that baby to lay his head than a feeding trough, a manger? If he can put a star in the sky to, to direct the wise men directly to Jesus, to this, to this king, but he couldn't stop the Herod's men 
How can this be? So they had to flee to Egypt. Hey, Mary and Joseph, did you have a good Christmas? Here they are, teenagers, and looking forward to just going home, to being safe in their home, that Joseph probably spent so much time and hard work to prepare for them, but instead they find themselves on the run. Talk about a Christmas in exile. They had it. And this was the first Christmas in exile, but it sure wouldn't be the last. And this year, in this, in this year of pandemic, I know that so many are dealing with some of the same feelings of exile. Maybe you feel exiled from important relationships in your life. You're going through a rocky time in a relationship. You've lost that loving feeling, or maybe it's vice versa, and you are just hurting over this broken relationship, or possibly you can't go see people that you love this, this year for Christmas. You're breaking some traditions because of this virus, and it's taking a toll on you. Maybe health is a real concern in your life or a loved one's life. Maybe you feel exiled from joy. I was talking to a teacher friend the other day that just confessed that this time, this season has drained him. Teaching isn't easy in any stretch of the imagination but he said that there are so many times that, and so many ways that we connect beyond the classroom and celebrate these students that have been taken away assemblies and sports and parties and extracurricular activities, and they're all geared to celebrate the students and celebrate those relationships that they have, and they haven't been able to have those. They're so careful in their interaction with the students, and he admitted that he just is struggling with discouragement. Maybe you sense that as well in your work. Maybe you sense that in your family. Maybe you sense that in your ministry. You're just discouraged in areas that brought you so much joy in your life. Or maybe you're exiled in your faith. You and God are just not connecting right now. You feel distant in the most important relationship in your life. And maybe you have been lukewarm in your faith. Or you've put your faith on autopilot. And if you allowed the devil just to get a foothold in, in a certain area of struggle, or you're just struggling to see God at work through this season. In this time of exile, it's hard to recognize. Maybe it's hard to recognize the victory. Maybe you're, you're going through, what you're going through, it's hard to define the victory. Maybe what you're dealing with right now, you're, it's hard to feel that victory. Maybe you're tired and you're drained and you're just asking, I know God can, but when? I'm so afraid of a December 32nd, 2020. Maybe you look around and you ask, I know God can, but how? Or maybe you look inside and you know your area of, your, of sin and your sinful nature and you ask, I know God can, but why? Why would he? There's a story about Robert Robinson, who probably felt like he was in exile most of his life growing up in the 1700s. His father died when he was just five, and his mother left, abandoned him not too much longer. His grandparents disinherited, disinherited him, and it was finally an uncle that sponsored him to schooling. At the age of 14, he was sent away to London to apprentice under a barber. And eventually Robert just fell into bad company and his life was going nowhere fast until he was 17. At the age of 17, he decided to go 
him and some buddies decided to go heckle this famed preacher named George Whitfield. But on that day, Whitfield, Whitfield preached such a powerful message on Matthew 3-7 that was entitled, The Wrath That Was Coming to This Generation of Vipers. And it was so powerful that it struck Robert to the core. And he eventually fell in love with Jesus. And he set out to become a preacher himself. But Robert was very honest. And he had to face up to the fact that while he was... Uh, that while he had a great love for Jesus Christ, he was, he was not a very dependable follower. He would go off on long periods of rejection and sin, and then there would be guilt, and he would come back to the Lord. I think that we can all relate to some degree to what Robert was going through. We love the Lord. We know that he is Savior. But at times, we just reject his love for our own will, for our own desires. Our life doesn't measure up to the commitment that we've made to Jesus Christ. We've all been there, and that is the way that Robert was. In fact, there were times when he felt nothing for Jesus Christ at all, even though he knew in his heart that he accepted Jesus into his, into his life. He accepted him as Lord and Savior. And one day, Robert started to write down his thoughts in his journal, and he penned these words. And I really believe that these words were given to him divinely for God, not just for him, but for so many people that have read them through the years. And maybe they'll be familiar to you. And they read like this. Come thou fount. Of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Sorrowing I shall be in spirit till releasing from flesh and sin. Yet from what I do inherit, here thy praises I'll begin. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Everyone asks what Ebenezer is here. I raise my Ebenezer. And basically Robinson is admitting his struggles with sin, but recognizing God's goodness in spite of his behavior. In 1 Samuel 7, the Israelites were coming off a bunch of catastrophic defeats. They even, they even lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. But Samuel called for the Israelites to pray, to turn from their idols, to rid themselves of their idols, and commit themselves fully to the Lord. And it was then that the Israelites conquered the Philistines. And the Bible uses, in 1 Samuel 7, uses words like slaughtered and routed. I think those are the same words that they're going to be using to describe what the Buckeyes do to Clemson here in a few days, right? All right. I love Dabo Sweeney. He's a good, godly man. But ranking Ohio State 11th is ridiculous, all right? All right. And, and it says that they routed, routed them to the point where the Philistines stopped invading the Israelites. And it was because they turned their eyes to God. It was because... They rid themselves of their idols and put him first because here's, here's the point. Prayer leads to repentance. Prayer leads to repentance. Repentance leads to faith. Faith leads to action. And action, with God behind it, leads to victory. In 1 Samuel 7, 12, Samuel then puts this stone 
It puts a stone up and he calls it an Ebenezer, which means a stone of help. And, it, and he says this, he says, thus far, the Lord has helped us. When Robert says, here I raise my Ebenezer, he is declaring victory. Victory through Christ, victory over sin, victory in his life. And it was God who helped him with this victory. It goes on to say in this poem, it says, here by thy great help, I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. You see, Robert wanted, what Robert wanted most was to just feel at home and at peace with his Lord. He desired that place of acceptance, that living, living in exile his whole life, he wanted to feel loved and accepted, and he knew that he could find that in the Lord. The story goes on that sometime later, Robert had really strayed in his faith to the point that he had felt that he had sinned away that day of grace in his life. And God wouldn't want anything to do with Robert. And so he was just terrified. He was disgusted with himself. And he just decided to run. He filled his life with travel. And he would just go from one place to the next, not wanting to face what he had, his relationship with the Lord, where it had gone wrong between him and God. And it's widely told that one day in his journeys, he found himself on a stagecoach. Now, if you know anything about stagecoaches of that day, the the the, uh, the seats, they would face one another. And by chance, Robert was seated across from a lady that could not stop talking about the joy of the Lord. It was the last thing that Robert wanted to hear about. And if you've ever been in that point of struggle, you know that you just don't want to be faced with it. You don't want to hear about it. But he could not shut this lady up. And after a while, she finally pulled out one out a book and asked him to read this, these, these uh, words from a poem that had really blessed her life. And as he read these words, he started to come down, tears started to come down his cheeks as he realized it was his words that he had written so many years ago. And oh, how those words written spoke straight to his heart that day on, his, on that stagecoach. And they read, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, blind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Thinking that Robert was touched by the words alone, the lady asked him for his thoughts. To which Robert responded, Madam... I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that poem many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. And what God had done was use those words, his own words, to say to him, you may, Robert, you may have walked away from me, but I have never walked away from you. Come home. 
And he did. And he enjoyed many fruitful years of ministry. And maybe he is saying that same thing to you this Christmas. Come home. It says in Revelations 3.20. I got to throw in some Revelation just so that Dustin feels like it's a worthy message here. It says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone who answers that door, I will come in and dine with him and him with me. I think it's interesting that the one and only psalm that is credited to Moses, someone that lived his whole life in exile from the river Nile to growing up in a foreign palace to, to fleeing to Midian to coming back to take his, take, his, uh, take his people only to wander in the desert for 40 years and never experience that promised land. The one psalm that's credited to him in Psalm 90 is this. It says this. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. The message puts it this way, God, it seems you've been our home forever. Long before the mountains were born, long before you brought earth itself to birth, from once upon a time to kingdom come, you are God. This Christmas, this Christmas in exile is God calling you home. And what is holding you back? Is it fear? Is it security? Is it comfort? Is it circumstances? Is it pleasure? There was a couple about 2,000 years ago that forsook all those things one Christmas, one holy night. And if you would have asked them, did you get everything that you wanted for Christmas? They would have answered Not one thing. Not even close. But if you would ask them, did you have a good Christmas? I think looking back, they would have said the best. I want you to know that it's not too late to make this the best Christmas ever. By surrounding your life, by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, he loves you and he has a promise for you, has a promise and and a plan plan for you to give you a hope and a future. And he went to the stable and to the cross to the empty tomb for a world that had no room for him, had no room for him in the end, who rejected him so that he could find room for us. You see, on this journey, Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have not told you where I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And the disciples were confused. You know, where do we know? How do we know where you're going? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe this Christmas is the Christmas you accept that greatest gift. You forsake all the other gifts for the gift of life. 
You forsake all other gifts for the gift of hope. You forsake all other gifts for the gift of peace. And maybe this Christmas is the Christmas that God's calling you home to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for a great Christmas. Not because we got everything that we wanted, but because we know that we have everything that we need through you and your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for that hope that we have through him. From the manger to the cross to that empty tomb. We know that there's hope and there's life in each of those. We thank you for how you've loved us so much. We thank you for how you've allowed us to be home in you and in you alone. God, this Christmas, I pray that we're, you're able to allow ourselves to turn our eyes completely to you and to put you number one in our lives. We thank you for how you comfort each one of us, how you love us in good times and in times of need. We thank you for all you do for us. You are good. And we pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.